my wife and I were on our way to a church that Sunday. It was a Sunday morning when I heard Mr. Armstrong for the very first time. As a matter of fact, it was an Easter Sunday morning. And here comes this strong voice over the television. And I'll tell you why it was unusual, because I normally would not look at any preachers on television. I just, that was just a no-no for me. And I had gone out that morning based on some crazy tradition that I heard about, and I actually wanted to prove it. So early that morning, I got up before the sunrise because I wanted to go out to prove something. I had heard, and this was, it's, it's silly now, but I had to make sure it was true, that every Easter Sunday morning, the sun shouted. Don't ask me how the pl- But I was the one that wanted to prove it. I went out and I sat in a location in my hometown. I had bought a dark pair of sunglasses because I had to prove this. And so I sat there and the sun came up. I got back home. My wife said, well, what did you find out? And I said, the only thing the sun did was rise. I said, they lied again. (laughs) Well, at that time, I, I turned the television on and there was this little old man. And I heard him shout the words, this is not the day that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. And I went, what? And both my wife and I stood there listening as she was preparing my daughter. And we were both preparing to go to church that Sunday. By the time Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong finished, I was so shocked at what he said, because one of the things that helped, he proved it from the Bible. I was like the cartoon character when something shocks the cartoon character. What happens to the mouth? Wham! He hits the floor. And I called a friend of mine and said, you're not going to believe what I heard. Well, he wasn't ex- exci- excited as I was. I thought he lost his mind. And my wife and I really struggled that day to go to church that Sunday morning. But we did. And then the preacher gets up and he says, this is the day our Lord and Savior was raised from the dead. And I looked at my wife. We both went, something's wrong. And it was from there, after that day, believe it or not, we never went back. Mr. Armstrong convinced us so much that there was something definitely wrong with religion. And I ask you to look back. Look back in time, brethren. Think about that day for the very first time that God revealed his truth to you as an individual. Because what I want you to think about and be reminded of is what we're a part of, and the very reason you're here today. It's a very special reason. It's a very special calling. We've been called out of the world. And understanding what would take place, brethren, very soon for Christians, for us, and for mankind as well, is going to be absolutely incredible. We are about to face something very powerful, and it should bring joy to every one of us. Because we are a part of something special. And what's so wonderful about our calling, brother, is what happens soon? What is going to happen will actually just be the beginning of what we will see for eternity. And the rewards for the Christians, the rewards for all of us will be awesome. How much do you think about that? How much do you ponder in your mind 
and think about what's about to happen. And you know, another wonderful thing to think about, brother, when Christ returns, is what mankind will finally get to enjoy. Finally, something awesome, something wonderful is going to happen. And when it's enforced, mankind will definitely be very grateful. Right now, mankind is not grateful, actually, for anything. Because, brother, as we'll see, it's something that mankind has been trying to bring about. But the problem with it all is they're trying to do it apart from God. And it doesn't work, does it? I feel like I'm going to bite this thing if I don't move it back just a little. Maybe you'll still be able to hear my, my voice. But apart from God, what man does is impossible. It won't, it won't work. Man has incredible knowledge. But what man wants to achieve won't happen. You know, brother, we have to remember that the world is in great turmoil. They've shown pictures of Iraq and Iran and all of these places as they bomb various places. And they show little children. I think we're all aware of Aleppo. And those things just hurt your heart, doesn't it? It makes you hurt for mankind. But humanity is in a, is, is in turmoil. And it is, it's even stated that, in, as we, Mr. Sweat touched on it yesterday, but we'll look at it again today. But creation, as a result of mankind, is tortured. I mean, think about it. We pollute the air. We pollute the food. We pollute the water. We're destroying this very beautiful earth. And we have to understand it's a result of man's misguided and misrule, and there are wrong principles and approach to life, and it's heavily influenced by Satan the devil. You know, Dr. Meredith has always said, a deceived person does not know that they're deceived. Let's go over to Romans for a moment, chapter 8. And I know Mr. Sweat touched on it, but I want to just go back and touch on it a little more. I like Mr. Sweat. I'm, I'm going to take a little quick drink here. Romans chapter 8, and I'll I'll try not to touch all of it as he did, but verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. You know, brethren, You know, I I think how excited is Christ about wanting to come back right now because he sees what's happening in this wretched society that we live in. I wonder how excited he is about that, waiting to meet his brothers and sisters for the very first time. For the creation was subjected to futility. I looked at that word a little bit, and it brings out the the word morally. Morals. The morals of mankind are basically zero. The morals have changed. We know they have. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. What we're going to see in the future is everything changed. 
It may take time, but it's going to be a beautiful world that we are going to be a part of. So it's going to be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Do we appreciate that thought? That we're going to have a part in something awesome. And I do mean awesome, brother, when we look at what God's word tells us. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Think about that. I remember when my wife was about to deliver our daughter. I was at the hospital, and I'm thinking about the pains. As it says, creation is groaning like labor pains. And we were at the hospital. She was very close to delivering our daughter. And there was a lady in the other room, right across the hall, and I'm sitting there, and she's screaming. She's really screaming in in a lot of pain. Then all of a sudden she said, I changed my mind. And I, and I, I thought vainly, I said, you're about nine months too late. <laughs> and I think about this. Creation itself is in pain because of, of what mankind has done on the face of this earth. Everything we touch, we destroy. And it's, it's a result of greed and selfishness. And we know that. So it's grown, it groans. Now, not only that, but we also, uh, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. You know, Paul tells us in Romans 12, I think it's verse 9, that we should abhor the evil that we see around. Do we groan, brethren? Do we pray about this society and what's happening all around us? Do we hurt? And it does hurt. To know that people have to suffer. To know that little children are suffering. And it's all a result of the selfishness of mankind. But he says that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the, uh, and it says adoption, and I think it should as well mean sonship, the redemption of our body. You know, brother, we could at this point ask, What is the problem? Why is mankind's actions and mindset such as it is? Why why is it? What's wrong? Now, we all know that Satan's presence is a major problem. But Paul reveals something else. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. That there's more to the story. Mankind, too, must bear its responsibility for what's happening today in this society. Look at Romans chapter 1, because here is a major problem in society. And we can't continue to make excuses for why things are the way they are. Verse 21, he says, because all that, I'm just breaking into the story, because although they knew God, here's the problem. They did not glorify him as God, nor were they nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened. God has given us major evidence of his existence. I know there are atheists. I don't remember her name, but it was one lady that was supposed to be this great atheist. And if, I, and if the story is correct, I understand she was in a, in a car accident. And I think she died, actually. But before that, 
What do you think her words were? Oh, my God. After denouncing God all of her life, all of a sudden she realizes she's in trouble. And who is she calling on? I think people know. I don't care if they're atheists. It's foolish. Because we have much evidence to prove that there is a real God. Mr. Munson gave us in his sermon incredible evidence that we are at the end of the age. The signs are there. Things are happening. And we as God's people must be aware of that and not take it lightly. So Paul reveals that there is a serious disregard of or lack of respect towards God among mankind. But brother, we can't be that way because God opened our minds to an incredible truth. And there's so much happening around us where people are trying to distort this truth, even among God's people sometimes. But these things were warned. We were warned of these things that they would happen. People would creep in and bring in things that are not good. People don't have a, a good respect about what God has declared for mankind that is right and good for all of us. And mankind doesn't have a regard to God's laws and his awesome plan of salvation and have gone about to create their own religious ways. That was one of the signs. Religion would spread like wildfire. You know, brother, there's a wonderful title given to Christ. Mr. Sweat touched on it yesterday. A wonderful title given to Christ that implicates, that implicates what he will do which actually describes what this world is lacking. And only Christ can bring it about, and it does describe what Christ will accomplish at the end of this age. But you know, in order for Christ to do what we'll see in just a moment, it's not going to be very pleasant for many. Because mankind can be so selfish and inconsiderate and stubborn, and we'll see that I'm going to show you something right out of the pages of the Bible that I just think is so shocking, so alarming, that Christ will have to do. And in order to accomplish it, let's go to Roman, I'm, I'm sorry, Revelation, Revelation 11. How will Christ do? And I'll give you the title in just a moment. But I want you to think about this. What will Christ have to do? There must be a change. And to bring about that change, it will not be pleasant for many. Revelation 11, I'll just drop down and skip the first portion. Look at verse 18. He says, the nations were angry and your wrath has come and the time of the dead and they should, that they should be judged. And that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints. Brethren, the time is coming when we are going to be rewarded for being faithful to God. For hanging in there. For staying strong. For not giving up. That time is coming. But notice what he says. And that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great. And what will Christ have to do? And, de and should destroy those who destroy the earth. 
We must ask, brethren, why? Why does Christ have, why does Christ have to come with anger? Why does he have to be wrathful? Why does the most powerful and loving being come with great wrath? Why does he have to do it? You know, a powerful lesson. Let's go to Psalms 36 because we find a powerful lesson here of why things will have to be done the way it will. Psalm 36. A powerful lesson. This festival portrays as a reason Christ will come being wrathful. Notice what is stated right here in verse 1. Psalm 36, verse 1. An oracle within my heart concerning the transgressions of the wicked. He's talking about the wicked. Those that do not revere God. And what does he say? There is no fear of God before his eyes. Brethren, we can look around this nation and we understand that there is no respect for the living God. None whatsoever among the religions of the world because everyone goes about to do their own thing. And the Apostle Paul echoes the same mindset. Let's go to Romans chapter 3 again. Let's go over to Romans. As Paul was elaborating about the Jews and some of the things that were going on. And he comes down to verse 18. Same thought of Psalm 36. Romans 3, verse 18, Paul says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's how you can do what you do. That's how you can promote the things that are being promoted. And a great word or phrase to understand about it is sexual immorality. It covers a broad spectrum of the sexual problems of this world and the hatefulness and the desire of men and women to do things in their own eyes. And though Paul was discussing this to the Jews in this chapter, you know, brethren, this is true for all mankind. All around the world, you just look at it. How in the world can a human being put another human being in a cage and set him on fire? You want to know why Christ will be wrathful? How in the world can a human being slice another man's head off? I say this because I want us to think about it. Because we're going to be a part of what it will take to fix the problems of humanity. And we have to make sure we're preparing properly for that. We also find that Isaiah writes about what causes problems between man and God. What is the problem? And brother, we have to understand. We want to make sure we don't make it a problem for us. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 59. Because all of these things we need to remember and certainly understand and respect. Because one of the things we have to remember, as it was stated, we are in, we are at war. This is a spiritual battle. And we have to arm ourselves with the armor of God. Because anything else could result in this. Isaiah 59 verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. 
nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that, guess what, God is not listening. If if we are not walking right with God, could our prayers just go to the ceiling? Mankind is walking in a way that is not pleasing in the sight of God. We must not follow those footsteps. Verse 4, no one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They speak in, they trust rather in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. That's what we see in this society. That's what we're seeing in our candidates. It is so embarrassing to see these candidates do the things that they do. And as we heard Mr. Sweat mentioned, if we are voting for Donald Trump, or Hillary Clinton, we're voting against God. And shame on us if we do it. That is wrong. We are not a part of this world. We are ambassadors for Christ. You have to understand what an ambassador is. If you were an ambassador for the United States in another country, you could not be involved in their system. We are not a part of this world. We are in it. We need to eliminate The thought of being involved in this political process is evil. It is a Satan, the devil. Jesus said, my kingdom is not from here. If we are to be sons of God, children of God, in the kingdom of God, our minds should be on things above, not on the earth. We should not be a part of the system. Last part of of verse uh, 6, it says, their works are, are works of iniquity and the acts of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their past. This is horrible. But this is the society we live in. Isn't it? It is. Verse 8. Key verse. The way of peace they have not known. And there is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. You know, if we live by God's laws, you realize the peace of mind we could have? The joy that we can have if we obey God in every aspect? So you see, brother, again, we see that sin reflects a lack of reverence for God. Defining lack of fear and awe of God. You know, I, I, I looked up the word fear in various places, and it talks about the fact that that is a feeling or attitude of deep respect, love, and awe of God. And you and I know that does not exist in this society. Not in the religions of this world. I'm not ashamed to say it. Not afraid to speak the truth. You want to know how dangerous the mindset of this society is? Let's go to Revelation 9 and notice something. You know, God allows things to happen hoping to bring mankind to repentance. God doesn't want anyone to perish, does he? How stubborn is mankind? How rebellious is mankind? Revelation 9 
Because what, what I want to show you is the second woe and the fifth bold judgment. And show you the mind of mankind. Revelation 9. Look at verse. And now you can write down verses 13 through uh, 21. I won't read all of them. But we're at the sixth trumpet. We drop down to verse 18. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire, the smoke, the brimstone, which came out of their mouths. You know, you, you tell a little child, don't you touch the stove, it's hot. What happens? <laughs> they, test the, they test the waters, don't they? They find out that the, the, the stove is hot. I remember one day, uh, somehow a little mouse got into our house. And I, I was preparing for work, and I walked, and I opened the cabinet door, and I grabbed something, and I walked away, and I stopped. And I thought about it, though. Did I see what I just saw? And I opened the cabinet and the little mouse looked at me. Yo, what's up, man? <laughs> now, I knew I had to get that mouse out of there. Because if my wife were to see that mouse, that would not be good. So I thought, how in the world am I going to get this little creature out of here? He's in there trying to break in my peanut butter jar. Now, he's that's the unpardonable sin there, buddy. <laughs> you got a problem there. So I grabbed, I, I always had, I always keep a can of roach spray, not for roaches, but for everything. <laughs> and I opened that cabinet and I zapped him. And I, he shook his head, I closed it, and then I opened it again, he jumps out. Well, I had just had breakfast. I didn't wake my wife that morning, I had breakfast, the stove was still hot. And he jumps out, he runs behind the little canisters, and I spray that way, and I spray that way, and we're, we're going at it. I'm spraying and spraying. He takes off. And hits that hot stove. I didn't know, I did not know mice could jump. And that little rascal just leaped and hit the floor and took off. And I went and opened the back door and I said, I'll get you out of here. And I sprayed and sprayed, but you know, when, 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 when God warns us of things, we need to listen. That mouse didn't listen. This is road spray. You better get out of here. And God's been trying to tell mankind for ages, you're going to bring catastrophe on yourselves. Look at verse 19. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, what happens? What's the nature of mankind? How stubborn, how stubborn is mankind? Look at it. Did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, wood, which can't see or hear, can't do anything. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. God's sending a powerful message. He's allowing things to happen and mankind is doing this. That's horrible. That's stubbornness. Chapter 16. Another quick place just to take a quick look at. Look at the mindset of humanity, stubborn, rebellious, no respect, no fear of God. Then the fifth angel, verse six, verse 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain and they blasphemed God. Wow. They blasphemed God. There's a story about an old man who always sat on his front porch every day and his dog would always sit behind him 
or rather right beside him. And the dog would always moan, just just moan all day. And the gentleman walked up and said, well, what's wrong with the dog? He said, he's laying on a nail. He said, well, why won't he move? The dog had the same problem as mankind. He said, it doesn't hurt enough. He didn't learn his lesson. Mankind has not yet learned its lesson. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. Brethren, that is horrible to think about. You want to know why Christ comes wrathful? Because there's no respect. There's no reverence for God. So a stubborn, rebellious mankind must be dealt with. And you can count on it. Christ is going to bring mankind to its knees because of that rebellion. You know, brother, one of the most awesome titles attributed to Christ is going to become a reality. And that is something we all must look forward to. Because the one thing that mankind cannot accomplish, Christ will. Isaiah chapter 9. Let's go over there. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Look at the last phrase. The Prince of Peace. Brethren, the title for my sermon today is The Prince of Peace is Coming. Rejoice! Yes, it's going to be tough. Yes, we will go through trials and tests. And some may be tough. But you know, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul says that God does not allow us to go through trials that we're not able to stand. And he makes a way of escape. And it's common to man. Even through trials, God is merciful. And we ought to be grateful for that. We're going to face trials. They hurt. But we should always ask, ask the question, what's the lesson? What's the lesson in every trial we may go through? Leviticus 23. Let's just take a quick look there. Leviticus 23. I'm just going to touch on it. I won't take the time to read it all. But I may stay on course with the sermon. Leviticus 23, verses 33 through 35, and you can actually say 33 through 41, but I just want to touch on a couple of things here. Speak to the children of Israel, verse 34, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the eternal. The first day is to be a holy convocation for us. And we shall do no customary work. Drop down to verse 40. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the the boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And look at what he says. You shall rejoice. We're here, brethren, to do and get a foretaste of what is going to happen in the kingdom of God. There is going to be abundance. God's going to put an end to Satan and mankind's reign. It's coming to an end. 
He says, you shall rejoice before the eternal, your God, for seven days. You shall keep it as a feast to the eternal for seven days in the year. It shall be a statue forever in your generations. You shall celebrate. And this week, brother, we should be celebrating. I know it was tough. I know parking was down the street. I know it's crowded. Don't complain. Let me explain. Rejoice. We're here to rejoice. We're here to get a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Yes, it's tight. Well, guess what? You get to meet someone new. And I always say, Why? don't don't spend all the time with the people you know. Spend a lot of time with people you don't know. Make new friends. Rejoice. We're here to celebrate. That word celebrate means to move in a circle. It means to be giddy. And that, that's not giddy up horsey now, don't no? It's not an insult to the Texans now. It means to dance and to reel to and fro, to be excited. Because the great God is about to change everything. Everything is about to change. Let's take a little look at some of those things. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 11 for a quick moment. Just, just to get a, a, a slight review because I have some things I want to share with you. Points I want us to remember things that we've heard but need to hear over and over. Isaiah chapter 9. Everything is about to change. The face of the earth is about to change. Verse 9. Here is something that is wonderful. I know he touched on it. And I'll only read verse 9. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. There will be no more ISIS, Taliban, Bokharan, dum dum. No more. Because Christ and we with him will rule with Christ as kings and priests and teachers in the kingdom of God. People are going to be excited. You know, we heard mention about our first love. Have we lost that first love, that excitement? I know for, for myself and I'm sure for many ministers, we go out and we, we talk with new people. And to see the excitement that they have about this truth. And about God's way of life, we saw in the, in the, behind the work film. Those people were excited. How much do we grumble? Oh, it's been 30 years. He's still not here. What if he wait 40 more years? Will we give up? I hope not. None of us. They will, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. Why? Because the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the eternal as the waters cover the sea. What we're doing and practicing and understanding and living, what God has shared with us, brethren, we will have the opportunity to share it with the whole world. We are doing a very small part of it now. But can you imagine in the kingdom of God? And all of us will have a part of that. Think about that, brethren. Let's also notice that God does love and include everyone so that there's no confusion. Isaiah 56, go over to 56. And notice what God says to everyone. God doesn't want anyone to perish. And we cannot argue the fact that God is doing everything he can. But everyone must do their part. 
Verse 1, keep justice. Thus says the eternal, keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the eternal speak, saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, here I am, a dry tree. But thus says the eternal to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a, a place and a name. Better than that of sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. This is what God wants mankind to know. He wants us to know it. And the sons of the foreigner who joined themselves to the eternal to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Mentions burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. God is extending and going to extend this to everyone. Isn't it wonderful, brethren? Do we understand we serve an incredible being, a wonderful Father who loves us and cares for everyone? The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, yet I will gather to him others beside those who are gathered to him. This is being, being extended to everyone, to all mankind. Christ will usher in peace in a powerful way. But understand, more will have to be done. Something else will have to take place. We heard a little bit. Look at Leviticus 26, verse 21 and 22. And I'll just break into the story here because here we have prophetic events that, are, that were listed long ago. Long ago, God's been trying to tell mankind, listen to me, obey me, do what is right, live my way. Verse 21, then if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children, destroy your livestock, and make you few in number, and your highways shall be desolate. You know, that could be an indication of joblessness. Are we preparing ourselves, brethren? For what's about to happen in this nation and in this world? Young people, are you listening? You are part of something special. There's nothing out in the world better, I can assure you. Many of us old timers will tell you, and I think it was Mr. Munson that said, you don't have to try it. Listen to sound advice. Listen to those that have paved the way, that have gone through many things. You don't have to try it. Isaiah 35. Look at what else. I, I wanted to read to you that about the beast. Wild beasts will begin to rob people of their children. We've already seen that. I had one of the brethren ask me one time. His wife was trying to convince him. They had very young children. And he wanted to bring a pit bull into the house. 
And his wife said, Mr. Stroud, do you think that's right? And I looked at him. I said, are you crazy? A pit bull. People said, oh, if you train them properly, they're going to be okay. There was a lady that trained, that had a pit bull from a baby. They'd grown up. She was playing with him on the sofa. He lost control, ripped almost half her face off. What will Christ do? How will God deal with this? Verse 8. A highway, I'm breaking, breaking into the story here. A highway shall be there and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool shall not go astray, no lion shall be there, nor, nor shall any ravenous beast go upon it. It shall be, it shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransom of the eternal shall return, and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. God is about to change this world. And we have the most incredible opportunity to be a part of it. And I heard it said, and I'll repeat it, out of 7 billion, maybe plus, People on earth, we're here. Not because we're better, but because of God's grace and his mercy. And there was for some special reason God revealed his truth to each one of us. How much, brethren, do we appreciate it? You know, Dr. Meredith years ago called, I'm not years ago, a few weeks, several weeks ago called the church wide fast. Because he said there, was, there seemed to be a spiritual malaise and some of the ministers felt that way among God's people. What's the problem? Are we getting complacent? Are we compromising, as we heard in the sermonette today? Are we too involved in the world? Go to Revelation 3. Are we too involved in the world? Because Christ introduces a problem with his church at the end time. So Dr. Meredith said, let's have a fast, a church-wide fast, and ask God's help to get rid of that spiritual malaise, that, that, that just laid-backness that we may have. Revelation 3, verse 20, notice what Christ says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Christ is knocking at the door. He's talking about a church era. That's at the end time. Which era or mindset do we represent? Is it Philadelphian? Is it Laodicean? You can answer that question if we're honest. We can answer that question if we're honest. How laid back are we? How, how much involved in this world are we? What's the problem here? Look at verse 17. He says, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched. He's telling the people of God at the end of the age that some are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You remember what happened in the Garden of Eden? When they ate the forbidden fruit, they pulled from the tree, they hid from God. What, was the, what, what did God say? Where are you? 
He said, well, Lord, we hid from you because we were naked. He said, what? Who told you you were naked? Nakedness. Here is a husband and wife that has spent how long together? I don't know. All of a sudden, they're shamed. And they covered themselves. Sin brings shame. And we have to understand that. This was husband and wife. But all of a sudden, they are ashamed. You know, brother, there are four vital things that I want to share with us for the remainder of my time. And I have to ask this question. How much does it mean to us, to each one of us, having been called and having opportunity now to enter the kingdom and the family of God? How much does it mean to us? What are we willing to willing to do to enter the kingdom of God as God grants us to do so? What are we willing to do? How far are we willing to go? Are we going to pull ourselves up? Go to Isaiah chapter 32. Because I'm going to share some things with us that I think are vital. Because we have to remember, Christ reveals that there is something going wrong among his people at the end of the age that will cause some to have to possibly face great tribulation. We already know that there's some will. Revelation 12, 17 tells us. And I want to share, I want to share with you four vital points. I'm going to move along. Isaiah 32, look at verse 17. He says, the work of righteousness will be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. Christ is the prince of peace. If we do what is right, we can enjoy peace now and forever in the kingdom of God. So let me share four things with you that I think is vital. That when the prince of peace returns, he will be willing to grant us to be in his family, his kingdom, for all eternity. Because Jesus tells us, I think it's Luke 12, 32, where Jesus said, it is the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Think about that. God wants to give us the kingdom. He wants us there. So the first thing I want us to be mindful of is this. We must constantly surrender to God his laws, and his ways daily. We must constantly surrender to God, his laws, and his ways daily. Upon hearing God's truth for the first time and putting forth the effort to learn more about it, we made the decision, didn't we? We said, I know it's right. We proved it. I know it's right. But once God revealed to us the need to repent, accept Christ as Savior, and we were baptized, he granted us his spirit, well, you know then, brother, we have to commit to surrender to Christ, to God's way of life, and commit to his conditions, not man's. See, man loves to turn God's word around, doesn't it? Because man wants to take God's word, reform it, reformat it to fit its rotten life. It won't work. It will not work. When you think about the word surrender, it means to give oneself up as into the power of another. Or it means to submit and to yield. Yield means to give up as to superior power or authority, to give up or surrender oneself 
You know, brethren, all of God's conditions are based on his word and his perfect laws. Think about that. God has given us a way of life based upon his word and his laws. Let's go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. He says, therefore, submit to God. And the word submit could mean be under obedience to. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. And he tells us to cleanse. We need to cleanse ourselves, cleanse our hearts and mind. Not be double-minded. And the dictionary for the word submit means to be subjected to or under the authority of a superior. And who better than Christ? If we have to be under the authority of anyone, who better than Jesus Christ? We respect the laws and the leaders of the land because God commands us to do so. We shouldn't speak evil of the of, of, of the leaders of our nation or leaders of other nations, even if they are chuckleheads. <laughs> I thought I'd borrow that from Mr. West. But we still have to submit. Once we began to learn more of God's truth, we made a, a decision to surrender to God based on his word and laws and conditions because every one of us, we have to remember this. This is vital. We were bought at a price. And that price was very high because God loved the world so much. What did he do? He gave his very best. He gave his son. We have to be appreciative for that. We all repent of sin, accept Christ as our personal savior, and we're baptized. And in effect, we committed to give up everything. Go to Luke chapter 9. Notice what Jesus writes here or, or gave to us here. Very important, brethren. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. What else? And take up his cross daily and follow me. You notice what he says? Deny yourself. Take up your cross every single day. Be willing to go through the trials and the pains that we may face and remain faithful. To God, be surrendered to him. You can find some interesting things in Luke 14, 25 through 33 and Matthew 10, 34 through 38. That fits together with this. Because complete surrender above all and above everything, especially the self. You know, it's the self that we have to get rid of, don't we? Because the self can be selfish. Something we should pray about to ask God to help us get rid of selfishness in every way. The next step becomes very critical. Because when we think about the fact that we need to deny, it means to deny utterly. That is to disown, abstain from even from our own desires, putting God first. We have to do that. 
We have to understand that this is a lifetime process. Point number two, we must become and remain conquered by God. One way we will accomplish this is to understand what conquers mean. We have to, we must become and remain conquered by God from the Greek N-I-K-A-O. Nikaio means to overcome. It's usually, uh, meaning is translated conquering and to conquer as you saw, as you can see in Revelation 6. And this is what is true. Uh, this is what true Christians are looking out for, not to be overcome by false teachings that will spread at the end time. You know, the Bible gives us warnings, warnings, brethren, about some who will creep in and bring in false doctrines, bring in heresies, even in the church of God. And all of you know we've had that. There have been some things creeping in that uh, that I've read about and that have taken place for millennials. And some of you know some things that have creeped in. We've had things like you have to call God's name in the Hebrew. Or the other one that's been a main issue, black Israelism. You know what, brethren? I'm going to say it just plainly. Both are demonic. This is not of God. You cannot find that in the scriptures. Show me in the scriptures where it says, in order for me to call God's name, I have to say it in the Hebrew. As a matter of fact, I can show you in the scriptures what Jesus tells us something different. Matthew, I didn't, I didn't have it in my notes, but I do want to bring it up. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Because I want to make sure we understand that this is something that rises up quite often. And we ought to be ashamed of ourselves because I'll tell you where it comes from. It comes from that great Bible I called the Bible net, or as you know, the Internet. This is where we get this. People prove all kinds of things over the Internet. We take people's word for it rather than God's. Look at what Jesus said, Matthew 6, verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father. I don't see anywhere where he said, say, our Yahweh. I don't speak Hebrew, brethren. I speak English, been in America all my life. There is no scripture. God did not add that to the commandments. When he says, don't take my name in vain. You may want to do a strong word study of that. It's not what that's not the indication. But yet people leave God's church over. I had a very good friend of mine, very good friend. It broke my heart. Because I knew this individual from 15 years old studied under Mr. Herbert Armstrong, listened to him, learned. And I don't say that to bring anyone down. I say that to help you, brethren, who are still here. Don't get entangled with this stuff. I've had people send emails or, or messages to me about black Israelism and sent me Videos and stuff from different sites to prove it. And all I saw was Protestantism. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. Because the great God opened our minds and showed us a way of life that is awesome. Why would we turn to anything else? And I'm going to say it again. It is demonic. 
You have to be careful, brother, because I'll tell you like it did and has and will do again. It'll take people right out of the church. And it has done it. And it's unprovable. And the video I saw was just, it was so pathetic. And I actually fussed at the person. I really did. I got really bent out of shape over it. Because God had worked, had proven these things. And, and as we heard about the chair, going to leave God's church over a chair. If God wanted us to pronounce his name in such a way. You know, Mr. John O'Gwen, and there was another gentleman, minister, that helped, that also did a part of it, did an incredible search. And I personally, with my wife, we took the liberty of looking into both of them. Stay off the Internet. That's the problem. You can prove anything you want on the Internet. Anything you want, you can come up with doctrine and everything in the world. But I can tell you this. Eventually, it will take you out of the church. And I've seen it done. I'm telling you the truth. Beware, brethren, because Satan is cunning. He's crafty. He's a liar. And the father of lies. Go to Colossians 3. You better step it up a little bit. Because I see my time is running out and I don't want to hold anyone up with Colossians 3. So I'm going to go a little faster. You might not be able to keep up with me, but I'll give you the scriptures. Colossians 3 verses 1 through 9. He says, if you, if then you were raised with Christ, what did he say? Seek those things which are all over the Internet where Christ is on the Internet. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I lost it for a minute there. Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth, not on the Internet. You cannot prove religion, God's right way of life over the Internet. You need to pick up this book, this sword. And take that sword and cut that junk to pieces because it's junk. It's demonic. It is not of God. I'll give you these scriptures. Ezekiel 28 verses 11 through 17. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, because I don't want to run over time. Get off the Internet and get in your Bible. Mr. Armstrong used to say, blow the dust off the Bible. Stop trying to prove stuff over the Internet. You can prove anything. Hey, one individual said, oh, Jesus wasn't born. He, he, he was a human. He had always been born. He'd always existed. I mean, he hadn't always existed is what she said. And I just said, liar, liar, your pants on fire. Because the Bible says otherwise, doesn't it? John 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among, among men. See? And what, and it also tells us that they didn't know who he was. Why? Because they were on the internet. It will destroy you, brethren. You might want to get off of it. Because sometimes we put things on the internet that is not good, that is ungodly. We need to be careful what we put out there. Point number three, we must become faithful to and have faith in God. And his entire way of life. We must become faithful to and have faith in God. And his entire way of life. There is nothing wrong in the Bible. People love to try to add to God's word. The book of Enoch. Wow. 
People like to tear apart Genesis 6. It's all, all kinds of stuff. Stuff that has nothing to do with God. The most important lesson about faithfulness is to remember this. Titus 1, 2, you don't have to turn there. God said he does not lie. He cannot lie. And he makes promises to us and mankind. But I want to warn you. There are promises God made. Go to Deuteronomy 7. God made some promises. And I want to tell you a little secret. (laughs) It's a two-way street. Notice Deuteronomy 7. Because two, two things can happen. You, you, you'll be, it, it will result in one of two things. Notice what Deuteronomy 7 verse 9 says. Therefore know the eternal your God. He is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Now watch this, brother. Here's the two-way street. God is not a respectable person. And you're about to see that. He says, and he repays those who what? Hate him. How does he repay them? Look at that. God doesn't go behind your back. He says, to your face. See? To your face. To destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. God wants you to know your dirt. You you think you hide it in the closet? You know, it's interesting. Uh, I think it's Proverbs 15.1 or 15.3. God knows everything that's going on. We can't hide from God. We can't hide sin. I don't know why we think we can. Oh, I can do this because nobody sees me. Really? You must be invisible. God sees everything. He knows what's happening all around us. So here, blessings or cursings are dependent on man's obedience and even to the disobedient, God will keep his promise. If we're disobedient, God's promise remains. He'll deal with it. No one gets away with anything. But let's also notice where God makes some wonderful promises. Psalm 31. Psalm 31, verses 23 through 24. If you don't get there as quickly as I am, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to keep going. 23, oh, love the Lord. All you his saints for the Lord preserves the faithful. He'll preserve us. If we're faithful to God, he's going to preserve us. And and fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. All you who hope in the eternal. Isn't God wonderful? Isn't he wonderful? You know, brother, I know he's wonderful. I stand here. After having a bout with cancer in 2001. And 15 years later, I never had to have anything. They removed the prostate and the the concern was, will it spread? And my doctor came into the hospital room the next day and he said, you know, Mr. Stroud, he said, I've never seen anything like yours. He said, I've done this all around the world. I teach it all around the world. I've never seen one go like yours. We have help. God loves us, brother. Some of us may go through trials for long periods of time. But guess what? When Christ returns, we're going to be healed. It may not be in this life. It may be later. But we have someone that really cares. I love the fact that Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father. Isn't that wonderful? 
the God of the universe, the God of all things. We can say our Father. That is awesome. And I hope we take it that way and understand how awesome it really is. Let's go to Psalm 125 and notice this verse. I'm skipping around a little bit because of time. Because I tell you, when you start talking about God's word, it is absolutely wonderful. Psalm 125, those who trust in the eternal are like Mount Zion, who cannot be moved, but abides forever. That's a promise from God. If we put trust in him, if we have faith in God. I'll encourage you to read Proverbs 3 verses 5 through 7. And Jeremiah 17, 5 and 7. The one dangerous thing that man and sometimes God's people lack today is the willingness to obey God. That's a reality. And point four is that point. We must become and remain obedient servants of God. We must become and remain obedient servants of God. The indication is to be the, to have that willingness to be taught by God. We need to be teachable. There's a good example of one being teachable, being a, a good servant, but it was in the case of a Samaritan, Luke chapter 10. Let's go there. Luke chapter 10. Verses 25 through 20 through 37, I will not read all of it. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the eternal your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus gives an example, a powerful example, that someone was in need Who was it that stepped off and wouldn't help? It was the priest, the Levite. But a certain, verse 33, Samaritan. This this could indicate someone who worshiped other gods. But look at the example. He was willing to help. And the Levite and the priest, who should know better, would not help. They crossed the street. How do I... Family members that may not be in God's church, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers. How do they view us as individuals? You know, it's important to God. Because Jesus says in Matthew 5, let your light so shine among men that, that they may see your good works and glorify God. See, it's important that we be lights to this society because it's dark. We live in a society that is dying, that's going away. We think about blessings and obedience. What does God say in Acts chapter 5? I'll just give you the verses 29 and verse 32. God gives his Holy Spirit to those who obey him. Peter said we are to obey God rather than man. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. You don't have to turn there for the sake of time. I'll... I'll um, just give it to you. First Peter 1, 13 through 16. He talks about the fact that we should submit ourselves to every ordinance 
I'm sorry, I'm looking at the wrong verse there. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, of your mind, be sober. Rest your souls, hopefully. Fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. You know, when you think about the end and everything that's taking place, let's look at Revelation 22. And this will be the uh, last verse that we'll read. You know, Romans 7, 12, though you can write that down. Paul says that the law is holy and the commandments are holy and just and good. You can't do away with something that's holy and just and good. God doesn't give mankind the permission to do that. But look at Revelation 22, because this is what I use when people say, oh, the laws are done away with. And this is one of the verses I use. Verse 14. He says, blessed are those who do his commandments, do them. They do them. This is the last book of the Bible. The last chapter of the Bible. To those that would like to say it's done away with, I have news for you. Because the last book of the Bible and the last chapter of the Bible says, blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life. If you're not doing the commandments of God, if you're compromising what happens you may not have that right and may enter through the gates into the city. He explains what's outside. Brethren, it's a wonderful opportunity for all of us. God has called us out of a world. We will join the Prince of Peace to make a change in this world. And it's going to be a great change, a remarkable change. So let's be sure, every one of us, that we are surrendered and conquered Faithful and obedient servants of the Most High God and look forward to eternal life in his soon coming kingdom. 